welcome to the Minute 66 podcast. On today's episode, we're joined by Chilean-based South American football journalist Adam Brandon to discuss Chile's failure to qualify for the World Cup in Qatar and the lasting legacy of its golden generation. Hi Adam, thanks for joining the show. Chile haven't qualified for the World Cup, unfortunately. So what I was interested in was, has that been met with surprise and anger in Chile? Or was it something that the general public was anticipating was going to happen? I think the majority of Chileans had quite a few sort of months to prepare for it, uh, you know, it was the likely scenario that Chile would be left out of that of those top five spots. Um, so, I would say that the overwhelming response was sort of frustration towards the Chilean FA, um, and that has sort of been a feeling now for quite a few years um, because a lot of people could see this sort of scenario coming this situation coming where Chile have just failed really to to replace the golden generation um I don't think yeah I think it was always going to be a tough ask to ask this country to produce players on the level of Aleta Sanchez or Arturo Vidal again um because historically those kind of players have only ever come around sort of every 15, 20 years. Anyways, you know, before Vidal and Sanchez, you probably have to go back to sort of Salas and Zamorano for for sort of household names worldwide, you know, you know, but, but those really mm. true world-class talents that traditionally have made the difference for Chile. Um, yeah, and even before that, you're going back to sort of the 80s, 70s, 80s with like Caselli and uh, Figueroa, for example. Uh, but they're, they're probably less known in Europe because obviously that's kind of well before kind of a globalization of the game. But you know, these are kind of yeah. traditionally sort of, uh, sort of, I'd say, sort of every sort of 15 years or so, you get sort of two world class players that Chile produces. And then it's just a case of can you fit a good enough team around them? And obviously, Chile had quite a few players sort of you could argue that Claudio Bravo was even a world-class goalkeeper at his peak as well um you know Gary Medell was a very like mm. solid performer Charles Arangis the same one of the best midfielders in South America certainly at, at that kind of international level it's really seemed to suit his game so you know Chile have mm. just failed really to to integrate sort of players to support those that quality and once that quality kind of lost their legs in recent years because so much of Chile's success at their peak in the in sort of the last decade or so was built on the ability to run a lot you know first under Marcelo Bielsa 
in the qualifiers for the 2010 World Cup. And then in the 2010 World Cup, they were probably sort of the most attacking and intense side in an otherwise pretty dull World Cup. And uh, and then again in 2014 under Jorge Sampaoli, again, they were probably probably a most intense and exciting team in that, in that World Cup as well. And again, that was based on a pretty intense press and like working very hard to win the ball back once they lost it. And, uh, and also obviously, you know, great technical ability on the ball too, but they just haven't had the players come through to really uh, supplement that. I mean, looking at the team, it's, Mm. there doesn't seem to be in any sort of attempt to integrate anyone at all from how I've seen it, like it looks like the exact same team that they've had in place for about 10 years. Well, yeah, this is kind of part of the problem, really. Like there may be like one or two changes, Mm. but those one or two changes are probably coming from within South America. So for people in Europe, you know, probably haven't even heard of them, with the exception, of course, of Brereton Diaz, who did become a bit of a sensation in 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 the last year. Um, but you know, aside from that, you know, the centre back situation, I think Chile actually have, you know, fairly decent options at centre back. Um, you know, most of them are, are maybe not at the top top level, but um, you know, but they play for decent clubs. You have got Maraban for Monaco in in France, for example, um, and over here in Brazil, you've got. Uh, Kusevich at Palmeiras, Paulo Diaz at River Plate. These are all, you know, very good centre backs on on their day at sort of South American level, and and they can certainly do a job in South American World Cup qualifying. Um, but yeah, quite often the pairing picked was like Maripan and Medel, and it was like quite slow and sluggish a lot of the time. Um, and again, you know, that just didn't suit the way that Chile would ideally like to play. So, yeah, there's there some issues there. Yeah, I mean, they've moved on the, the manager. And, I mean, was that... Did the Chilean people feel that he really wasn't doing a good job? Because, obviously, they don't have the superstars. But then Peru, you see how well Peru are doing. Ecuador are at the World Cup again with teams that don't really have superstars in it at all. Yeah, so... That- they're quite two sort of distinct comparisons there. So I, I prefer the comparison with Peru because I do believe that Chile, man for man, I have a more talented squad. Um, but mm. what Peru have is a truly world-class manager. You know, the reason that they're probably going to the World Cup, you know, they're not quite there yet. They need to get through a playoff. Is, you know, solely down to Ricardo Gareca. You cannot put that on anybody else, really. In, in the, you know, take him away from that setup, and I just don't see Peru troubling that top five um, positions at all. He really is the difference between them um, going to the last World Cup and this World Cup, and 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 not. Um, he's just managed to completely turn the mentality around in that group of players. Um, while with Chile. I think, well, they started off the World Cup qualifying campaign with Ronaldo Rueda in charge, the Colombian. Now, he had taken over 
a few months after Chile had failed to qualify for the 2018 World Cup. So he had time to sort of bring around what they call the recambio here, which is the, you know, the, the changing of the guard, if you will. But it never really happened. His excuse and his successor's excuse, Lasardi, they just said that there wasn't the players there to do it. So they had to rely on that on that old guard. Now, I kind of see their point, but I still think they went far too extreme. I do think they could have started to integrate more and more players. I think there was only sort of a handful that they definitely had to rely on. Um, you know, Sanchez, you would never drop. Vidal, you would have to be quite brave to drop because he's such a big character in the dressing room. And that is a potential issue going forward. Um, and similar story with Medel, really. But even if you kept like those three through the spine of the side, you can still like supplement them with with some younger legs around them. But the problem is, is that they they took too long really to to start blooding some of the younger players in because when they were given chances, like Marcelino Nunes, for example, he played right back away to Paraguay, and then. He played uh, attacking midfield uh, uh, away to Bolivia. In both games, he was, you know, among the best players on 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 the pitch. Um, so, you know, and the, and those were both wins for Chile. Um, uh, Gabriel Suazo, who's mm. in like his mid twenties, captain of Colo Colo, he's been pretty excellent every time he's been given a chance at left back, for example, apart from maybe in the in the last game against Uruguay. But yeah, it's. Uh, it's, it's, I guess it's kind of been a difficult balance for those managers. Uh, both faced similar problems. Um, both were criticised heavily like for their tactics. from the Chilean FA? Well, yeah, that's as I started sort of this whole rant with, really. You know, most people would trace the issue back to the Chilean FA, just not doing enough over the years, resting on their laurels, thinking that the... That you know, this golden generation would happen again. Just They were just waiting for sort of the players to come through. Um, but, you know, it's not really like that. It's, it's not like in Uruguay where you've got that football co- culture from such a young age and everything is built towards the national team and getting players across to Europe early, um, but also educating them in the sort of the Uruguayan way to make sure they stay loyal to to Uruguay before they go over to Europe. Um, but yeah, they get that experience a lot sooner than the than the Chilean players. And generally, there's a there's a big cultural divide, in my opinion, in South America between the sort of traditional big three of South American football, which sit on the Atlantic coast of the continent, Argentina, Uruguay, and Brazil. And then like the rest of the continent who sit on the Pacific coast. For me, I see a pattern where players mature a lot later over sort of this side of the Andes. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I've always kind of been fascinated in that and wondering sort of the reasons why. But, you know, primary sort of conclusions I've drawn is, is it's just that kind of almost like a football DNA, I guess, sort of. It's ingrained into the culture a lot earlier, I think, in, in Argentina, in Uruguay, that these players, because um, there's such a long history 
of players going over to Europe and getting that experience early. And 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 it mm. and it's just less so, I think, in Chile and in other countries on the on the Pacific coast of the continent. Um, so yeah, it'd be interesting to see if that changes over time. But I think generally Chilean players find it much harder to adapt when they go abroad at a young age, whether that be within South America or even further afield than say. And it just seems much easier for whatever reason, especially for Argentinians and Uruguayans to go to a different country and adapt, especially if they're heading across to Europe. So. And, and what is the lasting, the lasting impression of this golden generation? Because obviously they had the wonderful success with the two Copper America victories. Um, but has this last two World Cup qualification failures are they seen almost as a team that didn't achieve as much of this as they could have done now in Chile? Or is it still seen as, no, they were a great team and then there was the lack of support, the lack of new blood coming into the team and that's why it ended in disappointment towards the so end? So the 2018, the failure to qualify for that remains a much bigger sort of disappointment in general. Um, it should never have happened. It, yeah, it remains ridiculous that they didn't qualify for that World Cup, especially how it unfolded as well. They got off to such a strong start. Um, and, yeah, for for it to sort of fall apart, apart in sort of the latter stages of that qualifying campaign. And there was, like, so many factors involved in in why. And it, yeah, it just shouldn't... And it, and it remains a great frustration, I think, for all um, here... But I wouldn't say that it sours their reputation too much because ultimately Chile had never won uh, any kind of silverware. This is at any level. You know, they hadn't even won, say, an under-20 or under-17 championship. But yeah, they have massive underachievers, really, given that they played in the first Copa America in 1916. And then it took them 99 years to um, finally win one. Um, so, yeah, that, that triumph in 2015 on home soil, I think if it, was left, if it was left just as that, I think there might have even been a sense of, yeah, maybe they did underachieve. But the fact that they followed it up a year later and that was just... Uh, because between the Copper America victory in 2015 and the one in 2016, what you need to understand, if, if you weren't living in South America at the time, Chile for a year were accused of only winning that Copper America in 2015 because it was on home, home soil. Okay, mm. uh, You only won it because the referees were in your favour, etc. Okay, So to go to the United States and say in the quarterfinal against Mexico with 100,000 Mexicans in, in the stadium in, in California, I think it was, and win 7-0, um, yeah, and then beat Colombia, where it was mostly Colombians in the stadium, 2-0, and then beat Argentina, where the majority of fans in that stadium wanted Argentina to win because Messi was playing, you know, and, and the American public, I think, just wanted to see him win 
and then Flatilli to survive with 10 men for a good spell of that game and uh, and go on to win it. Uh, a, a, a close game as well. It wasn't like they were hanging on in, in that final um, for, for penalties. You know, they, they gave it as good as they got as well. Um, yeah, so to, so to win that as well, that was, you know, a massive, you know, FU to the rest of the continent to do that. And I, and I, yeah, they will always be heroes in this country for not just that 2015 success on home soil, but following it up the year later and, and like really rubbing the, the, rubbing it in the noses of uh, Argentinians, especially given that the both victories came against them. 